Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series in the hospitality tabletop industry. This podcast was originally published in the week of March 30th and runs for approximately 35 minutes. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself. This is episode number 68 for those of you keeping score. And today, I want to welcome you back to our newly formatted On the Frontline series for our Seat Yourself podcast, all done on the hospitality tabletop industry. In our new On the Frontlines series format, we're speaking to people from all corners of our audience and trying to get different perspectives from people in different markets and different situations, all from the front lines. Our intention in these conversations from the On the Frontlines is to get the view of what's happening in a particular region or sector. But also, we want to see what's being done and what can be done as operators as the sellers fight their way through this current COVID-19 situation. And while we're at it, we'll be sharing ideas on actions others are taking so that maybe we all can learn. After all, we're all in this together. And in case you missed it, in our first On the Frontlines conversation last week, we were with Bunny Johnson. Bunny's a frontline sales manager in the Washington, D.C. marketplace. If you haven't listened to that conversation, it's really terrific. Bunny gives some great insights, and I invite you to go back and check out that conversation. This week, we'll be talking with Greg Kirish. Greg is one of my colleagues on our other podcast called Every Other Thursday. And if you haven't checked that out, you should do so as well. Greg is from the Chicago area. And in our last week's Every Other Thursday podcast, we had a quick discussion about operators in the Chicago area and some of the observation that Greg has had and some very easy, even small ideas on things that operators might try as they continue to bring at least some revenue back into their hospitality operations. And for those of you who don't know Greg, Greg Kiris has a long legacy of passion for the food service business, and his experiences are varied with having worked in companies both big and small. But rather than have me go on and on, I want to welcome Greg here to the next episode in our On the Frontline series. Greg, I want to welcome you to Seat Yourself, the On the Frontline series that we just started up, and I want to welcome you here uh, with us today. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be with you. Greg, many of our listeners already know you as part of our Gang of Three on the other podcast that we have every other Thursday. And over there, we've talked about a little bit about your background. But before we get started here, can you give our Seat Yourself listeners a quick snapshot of your lengthy and very, very broad, if I can say so myself, food service background? I know you're a passionate food service guy, but you've got a really great background. And I want people to understand both the depth and the breadth of what you've done. Thanks, Dave. I say that I'm fully vertically integrated. I started out life on dairy farms. I worked for two summers in in high school picking peas for Green Giant. So so it's sort of like a farm to podcast kind of thing? Yes, it's a podcast, correct. Pea to podcast. (laughs) And did the, like with everybody else, was a bartender and a dishwasher in college. And then uh, eventually... Ended up with my first job in food service for Technomic and uh, did strategy work and market research there for a long time. Then jumped over to the manufacturing, the processor side, the client side, if you will, and worked for companies like Kraft, where I uh, ran for food service, the uh, A1 steak sauce and Grey Poupon brands and others. Big brands. For Sara Lee, managed their uh, food service business for Sara Lee's coffee and tea division, 
worked for Kerry worldwide for nine years. Kerry, at that point, was at the ingredients division, and we were selling into companies that were creating products for food service worldwide. For example, we followed McDonald's into China. Greg, let me interrupt for a second. Yeah. Just so people understand Kerry, Kerry is a food ingredients company primarily in this country. And globally, what would the size of carrying, what was the size? I know they've changed a lot since you were there, but how about how big was it? It's a big company. Well, it's multi-billion dollar business. Right. I don't want people to think it's some, it's a, it, and you did work for, you've worked for niche companies, but right. this one is one of, one of the larger ones in the, in the world that, that nobody's ever heard of. Right. I think then the way that I like to say it is I think people eat carry food every day and they don't realize it because these are the ingredients that are sold to, you name it, General Mills, Frito-Lay, Campbell's. And specified, the important thing is in many cases specified by the food service operator. So we worked hand in hand. It was, it was a triangle where we worked with the food processors and the operators worldwide. I think germane to this discussion here for seven and a half years, I worked for the National Restaurant Association, where I was vice president of sales and marketing for the show, for the National Restaurant Show. Yeah, I want to come back to that stint a little later on, because that's really important because, you know, I I, I don't know if the rest of the National Restaurant Show has ever been postponed or canceled like it has this year. So I want to come back to that and what that might mean for the future. It's been every year since 1919 here in Chicago. I have a um, food service equipment background. I was head of national accounts for Fetco, which is a major manufacturer of coffee and tea brewing equipment. Kerry itself actually had, at the time I was there, food service equipment, ovens and, and deep fryers. And I managed marketing and brands there for that company. The list goes on. So what I like to say is there's not much that I haven't done in food service. If it's out there, I've I've at least touched it at some point over the last 40 years. Well, one of the things I also want to add to your background that I want people to understand is too, you've also worked for startups. And startups are particularly, they're very, very different than large multi-billion, multi-national companies. And many of the companies in hospitality tabletop, I wouldn't call them all startups, but they're, they're relatively small and they have probably different issues and different concerns than uh, some of the global uh, companies or uh, companies that are in excess of a billion or multi-billion dollar companies. Most of the companies, I would say, it's just my opinion, but most of the companies in hospitality tabletop, the manufacturer companies, definitely under $100 million and probably under 50 or even under $20 million, a lot of them. So their concerns, and particularly if you're a manufacturer's rep firm, those are, while not startups, a lot of them are very experienced, but they still have smaller company concerns. And you, you're very, you've, you spent a lot of time with that. So you understand that side of it as well. Yeah, like I said, I kind of been, I kind of touched on something, a little bit of everything, jack of all trades and foods in food service. Greg, before we get started, I want to touch on just so somebody uh, we're, we're going to uh, we're trying to provide some hope and optimism here uh, for some of the people and give them some, some ideas in this uh, on the front line series. But I also want to give some uh, reality and uh, and I want to give some uh, stats that have just come out, uh, been published recently. Everybody's familiar. I think all our listeners would be familiar with a magazine called Restaurant Business. And I want to give some uh, a shout out to a guy named Jonathan Mays, who I don't know, don't have a relationship with. He's uh, one of the writers that I 
follow a lot, and I think he does a great job of covering our business and doing it well. He's published some numbers from the NRA, the National Restaurant Association here, that 3% of operators have already said they permanently closed. Restaurant operators are permanently closed, 3%. Have done that, and that's from the NRA, and that equates to thirty thousand restaurant locations. That's pretty staggering to me that they've already said they're permanently closed, and in the next thirty days, the NRA is saying that eleven percent of operators, an additional eleven percent, will join them. Now that's over a hundred thousand restaurants. Hundred would be at that point about one hundred thirty, hundred forty thousand restaurants have closed their doors. Will close the doors permanently. And the final stat I'll give us, well, I've got actually two more stats. In the last three weeks, the NRA says that 3 million restaurant workers have been put out of business. 3 million. And then finally, the research firm Black Box Intelligence is telling us that when it comes to full service, and that's where we're talking about permanent tableware, permanent hospitality tableware suppliers are most concerned about. Same store sales were down 74% so far in March. 74 so those are all tough, tough numbers. And I want to use that as the backdrop. Have we, we both been in this business for a while. Have you, do you ever remember seeing anything that even, even at even 9-11 that remotely resembles what we are right now? No, absolutely, absolutely not. And I was selling exhibit space at the National Restaurant Show during the uh, 2007-2009 financial crisis. We thought it was bad then. It was nothing compared to now. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, you're not in downtown Chicago, but you're in the Chicago suburbs. Can you give us a feel of what's going on out there and what what it's like on the front lines out in the Chicago suburbs and maybe a little bit of a peek at what's going on in Chicago as a whole? Yes, I live in what they call the uh, Chicago North Shore, the old established villages and towns uh, along the lake north of Chicago. Chicago apparently is one of the country's hot spots for virus infections. And I'm in Cook County, which is Chicago, and uh, there is complete lockdown. I mean, there's, uh, you know, no public spaces are supposed to be inhabited. The lakefront is closed. The bike trails are closed. Parks, playgrounds, everything is shut down. And it's eerie. And every little uh, town, village along the lake that I just mentioned has a little downtown area. And these are typically lots of uh, coffee shops, restaurants bars, walking distance to the community, and they're just eerily silent. There's just nobody. There's just nobody out. Yeah, it's a, it's a little different. Uh, we're obviously home-based in Maryland, and it's a little different here. There are people out, but generally they're riding around in their in their cars. There are lots of walkers. As a matter of fact, I've been trying to walk a little bit more and run a little bit here and there, but the weather's been great, but everybody's a little, you know, Everybody's very nervous. Let's put it that way. The grocery stores uh, are doing a brisk business, but I think it's different everywhere. And we talked with Bunny Johnson last week, and uh, she gave us sort of the lay of the land as it was in the D.C., Baltimore, uh, Northern Virginia area. And I think even in the even in the seven days since we spoke with Bunny, uh, everything's changed again. 
And so it's a, it's pretty fluid. It's kind of, uh, and, and it's changing all the time. So it's interesting to hear that you've been out walking and what have you seen when you've been out there? What are some of the restaurants uh, in the area besides, I, I'm sure some are doing takeaway. We talked a little bit about that on every other Thursday. What are some of the things that you've seen that restaurateurs in your area are doing to keep revenue coming in? Well, just to keep, I guess, sane and healthy, I've been, um, I take a different village or town here in the area daily or, or at least every other day and walk or walk around and walk through the downtown, practicing social distancing in case anybody's worried. Point is, that's not even really an issue because there's virtually nobody around. There's nobody out. There's nobody out. And more in the neighborhoods where people are walking their dogs and then, then, in the in the business district downtown areas but i've seen shuttered restaurants but then there are those that are trying to do ta- that are trying to do takeout and what i'm finding is is that it's difficult here i am a potential customer walking through these uh, neighborhoods and it's hard for me to determine readily determine which places are open and which places are for takeout which places are closed yeah, I wanted to get to that because in our last episode of Every Other Thursday, which uh, posted last week, you were talking, and we didn't go into great depth about it, but we were talking about, you had a gr- you had a great comment about all the little things, the things that were virtually free, the little things that restaurateurs were missing that they might have been able to do that would help them generate, you know, just even a little bit more business and it, without, without a lot of work. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. What do you mean by that? Sure. Well, and I, first, and I want to go, give an intro here. I don't mean to be flippant or cavalier. I understand that this is a matter of life and death for these for these operators. Yep. And absolutely. So I'm just not. I don't want to sit in an ivory tower and just speak down to everybody. But here's just some suggestions. And I guess the theme of my ideas is think small. So put yourself in the place of one of these people, like myself, who's just walking to, walking around and willing to support the community and make an impulse buy. So how can you make that simpler? And so I'm going by walking by restaurants. I'm peering in the windows and I can't tell readily with a lot of them, are they doing takeout or not or not? And some of them have like a handwritten or a small print eight and a half by 11 sheet of window tape or a piece of paper taped in the window. And it says, yes, we're, we're open or something like that. What I'm saying is, is that put a big sign in your window and say, yes, we're open for takeout. Here's our website. Here's our phone number. And if you can get an easel and put it out on the, on the sidewalk, and say the same thing so you can capture people's so you can capture people's attention. I was literally knocking on the doors, sticking my head in, and saying, "Hey, are you guys open? How can I order here?" And you know, and somebody runs in from the back room, and says, "Sure, yeah, we'll we'll do it." In other cases, I've ordered and I've walked in to get to pick up the order, and I got chastised for walking into the restaurant. And then in other cases, beyond that, I've stayed out at the sidewalk. And called in, and then the operator who who answers says, "You know what, what? What's your problem? How come you didn't come in?" So it, it's just these are not overwhelming points, but all these little all, you add everything together, and all the little things make a big picture. Make it as easy as you can as possible for people to order from you and to pick up from you, and and then when you get a 
when you when you package it up to then hand over the food, make sure you have some sort of menu or or uh, or flyer that can be just printed off your computer. It doesn't have to be well printed. Yeah, I don't think people are looking for fancy anymore. Right? No. Right now. Yeah, just put it in the bag so that people can yeah. make another so that people can make another purchase. You know, I was as a lot of people know, I was in Las Vegas last week and there's a great restaurant in Las Vegas. If you, anybody goes to Las Vegas, going to heads up towards someone, go to Honey Salt. Honey Salt really did I thought did a great job of reconfiguring their website as well. They've got a menu that always changes, I believe. But to me, they had narrowed the menu down, made it really simple, and they made what I would call meal not meal kits, but family style entrees. Yes, you could get a hamburger and it was reasonably priced and all that, but they had lasagnas and all that that you could you know, serve a family with. And I thought that was very good. It was very focused. The website I'm talking about, it was very focused. The menu on board there, and it told you exactly how to order. You could order it to pick up or you could have DoorDash, I believe, and maybe one other Grubhub. I, I'm not sure the, the delivery services, but it was right there on the front page, on the homepage of their website. So I think that's really to support what you're saying that's a really simple thing to do. Let people know you're really in that business. Absolutely. And to pile on, I, I've been looking at the websites of a lot of area restaurants here and they haven't changed. They don't, and they don't give those instructions and they don't mention what they have for sale. And, uh, you know, you can't, in these times, you can't leave it, you can't just leave it up to chance. Make it, make it, make it as easy as possible. Yeah. We were talking about on every other Thursday, it's, it's still marketing. It's just a different type of marketing. The easel becomes more important than it ever was. Like the outside easel on the on the sidewalk becomes really a critical component to your marketing program all of a sudden. I mean, it sounds corny, but hey, put balloons on that easel, you know? Yeah. yeah. Capture people's attention. They're gonna people are gonna be walking their dogs, you know, they gotta get out, they're gonna be walking by the place. they have a phone in their pocket. Make just put the you know have your phone number right there your your uh, website address make it make it easy. Yeah, I wanted to talk also too about that that idea of restructuring your menu. There's an article in um, in Esquire that Canlis, uh, one of the one of our country's great restaurants up in Seattle, great fine dining restaurant, reformatted their menu and they sold nearly 500 bagels one uh, morning recently in a 90 day time, uh, 90 minute time frame. And I think the idea of restructuring, reconfiguring, rethinking who you are as a restaurant, at least temporarily, I think that's really, that's really interesting. And in your area in particular, Greg, downtown Chicago, Alinea now has a beef short rib uh, item uh, entree with mashed potatoes and a cream boulet that they're, they're selling for $34.95 for pickup only. So I, I think that there are, there are things, people thinking a little bit differently about their menu and, and trying to appeal to, um, you know, slimming it down, keeping it focused. I think there's things that operators can do that it, it's hard because they're all trying to just survive. And uh, we get it. But if you are going to survive, you're going to have to think a little differently, I think. A local place here, just a couple of blocks from my home, a boyer, uh, a very upscale fine dining, then attached to a bistro. They are uh, selling, uh, I understand, uh, I just heard it through root, uh, word of mouth here in the neighborhood, things like beef and crout. 
basically, I guess, beef Wellington that sure. you can take home and cook off. So it's, it, right. it's, it's all prepared. But I guess the point about that is it's here. I walk by that place all the time. I didn't know that. Sure. You know, I mean, some, there should be, did you put a, a put, hey, put a cardboard sign out in front of the place and, yeah. uh, and just make it, just make it clear and simple. You know? Yeah, I think I think that's those are two good words to remember: clear and simple. I like that a lot. In one other comment, I'll make about a, about reformatted menus. There is a um, uh, a chain out that's out your way. Started originally in St. Louis, I believe, Soul Taco. They're not only selling takeaway and everything, but they're selling meal kits to take home, just like you were talking about. Take home and, and finish it off yourself. So that you can go in now, all of a sudden, and their best selling takeaway items are now available in kits that you can take to your home and cook later and finish them off later. I think that's a really a good idea as well. So, I mean, one of the advantages to food service operators is a lot of people just don't know how to cook anymore and they don't even have the proper utensils and cookware at ho- at home to do it. So they got to get food from someplace, right? you know, and they're going to be getting it. And so it might as well be you. How can you capture those people? And this is not, again, I can't say it too many times and I don't mean to be flippant, but keep it small. We just, what would you do? What would make it easier to put yourself in the place of the somebody walking their dog through your downtown area? What would, what would capture your attention and and make it easy to place an order or pick up food. Yeah, I, I think there's also an opportunity with some of the delivery services. I know DoorDash has partnered with uh, Dallas Mavericks in the Dallas area to support local restaurants. I think there's ways, if you've got a delivery component to your restaurant, I think there's ways to sort of to leverage that a little bit for just some level of increased business. And right now, in the near term anyway, it's about really staying alive. And I think that if you, to use your point, to be clear, about what you're doing, to make your menu simple, and then to get the word out there, however, and then literally get the food to the people by keeping it all very, very simple. I think it's really a key point right now. So, See Yourself is sponsored in part by Edward Don and Company. Everything but the food for 100 years. Now, back to our conversation. I want to touch base on your experience, Greg, with the NRA show. You were with them for quite a while, seven and a half years, you said? Correct. Okay. This situation that we're in now with COVID-19, it isn't going to last forever. That's for sure. The restaurant business is incredibly resilient. The hospitality business overall, incredibly resilient. It's going to come back. And when it comes back, it's going to be bigger and stronger than ever. But let's talk about trade shows within the hospitality industry. Are they going to come back? And what do you think the future holds for the trade show business once we're all done with this COVID-19 situation? I think they have a real uphill battle. And uh, and let me say, having said that. In what way? Well, let me say, first of all, just that I personally believe in trade shows. I think that they they can be a very important component of your sales and promotion strategy. But trade shows in general have been really fighting an uphill battle already. And there's and there's a lot of theories and reasons behind that. One is that the you know millennials tend to not like to do business face to face and you know and though they don't want to press the flesh. And you know a lot of companies are owned by VCs now and they don't 
see the value because they can, you know, it looks like it's a very expensive proposition and it's hard to prove its worth. There's a lot of things that are, you know, kind of behind the scenes. And that's, that was what, that was always a battle that they fought. But so there was this trend against trade shows and now it's just, you know, it's piled on. And what, what I found in my experience when I was heading up sales and marketing for the national restaurant show is if you lost a customer, an exhibitor, for whatever reason, you know, they, they were, they had a shift of strategy, a shift of ownership, whatever reason that really didn't have to do with the show. It was hell and high water to try to get them back into the show because all of a sudden, you know, oh, we haven't budgeted the money for it. It's not part of our, our strategy. You know, there's just inertia. Oh, management, it's hard to explain to management why we need to invest. I mean, there's a lot of, of excuses or rationale. It's just gonna, It's just really tough. And I'm afraid that now that these companies have lived without the show or are going to live without the show this year, it's going to be really difficult to get them back in again. I think that's an inc- incorrect in, on their part, but I think that it's reality. Yeah, I think you may have a, you may be closer to this than me, but I think the current situation is, is where the NRA show is just rolling over the deposits and all that to 2021. Is that correct? You I, know? I, no, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, but I, I don't know how that can hold if a company says we want out. I don't know. I mean, you know, people smarter than I am will, will figure all that out. But I, I do agree with you. I think that it's going to be difficult not only to get exhibitors there, which is the real estate piece of it all, but also to get attendees to come. And I think that um, there's going to have to be a lot of creative thinking. I know uh, the last show that I attended was in Frankfurt, and they had an um, ambiante show in Frankfurt in February even. that This was at sort of the beginning of this. We were a little bit into it, but it was more regionalized to China, the virus situation at that point. But you had people, large groups of people from large chains, whether they be hospitality chains or even retail chains, because that's, that's that show has fundamentally and historically been a retail, a consumer show. You had large, uh, large groups just opting not to come at the last minute. And I wonder if they don't realize, att- attendees don't realize, too, that maybe they can go every couple of years to a show rather than every year. Well, you know, you can make a strong argument that when times are bad, that's when you should attend these shows or exhibit in these shows. But human nature and I guess business nature being what it is, that's the time that everybody pulls out. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 I agree with you. I'm a big supporter of trade shows, but I think that as an exhibitor, because I've been an exhibitor and I've, I've been the guy who writes the checks for the booth and it ain't cheap. Okay. However, the only thing I say, I really think a three or four day period where you've got all your customers and all your potential customers coming to one particular place, there couldn't be a better ROI than a great trade show. That said, you must do a lot of upfront planning. You must have a great story while you're there. And then here's the really killer for me when you realize how Oftentimes, there is no follow-up from exhibitors on people who come by their booth or express interest in a product. It can't be just putting up a booth, throwing up some product, and saying, look, come see us. You really have to have a well-thought-out battle plan when you're going to a trade show. If you do all those things, 
I think it can give you a great ROI. As a matter of fact, it may be some of the best ROI that you can you can spend in terms of marketing your brand in a B2B hospitality world. I agree with you 100%. Trade shows, that is, it is tough and it's expensive. And if you don't do all your homework up front, don't do it. And I actually suggested that to many potential customers, clients, exhibitors, if you will. You know, people, I could just sense that, uh, you know, we were fighting the battle and they were, all they saw it as is travel expenses and uh, show expenses. And they just were putting out, uh, all they were going to do is is plant a flag at the show. I said, that's not going to get you anywhere. You need to have a strategy and goals that are measurable. And these are all, these are all, it's all, it's a lot of hard work. But yeah, but I think think it's great. It's a great, it has a great ROI, like you said. I think if I were an exhibitor or a potential exhibitor at next year's NRA show, I'd be planning now about what I wanted to do because there will be an NRA show in 2021. And whether you're going to be in it or you think you're going to be in it or not, if you're thinking at all about being in it, then have a game plan. And, and in, now maybe you may say, well, that's a year away. Who knows if we're even going to be in business or whatever. But, that, but I'm telling you, plan ahead have a great game plan uh, during the event and then have a great follow-up, a really killer follow-up. I don't know who the best trade show participant is as an exhibitor in the NRA show, but somewhere out there, there is the, uh, of all the exhibitors at the NRA show, there's somebody who does it the best overall. And I would want my company to be, if not the best, certainly one of the best. And now you have a lot of time to think about it. And I think that the planning on trade shows, it's a hell of a lot of money to, for a company to spend, up, whether you're in our category, whether you're Libby Food Service or Steelite or somebody like that, or you're just a startup and you're coming in and you're trying to see if there's a, an opportunity. What, whatever your position is, make the most of the money you're going to spend because you're going to spend money. And on a relative basis, it's, you know, it's all this, it's big money, no matter who you are. And uh, I think it's important to say at this point, to be for full transparency, neither you, Dave, or I have any connection to the National Restaurant Association or the National Restaurant Show. We're just saying that it's a, that we see it as a good possibility in, in your quiver of uh, marketing and promotion. Yeah, and I say this, whether it's the NRA show, Ambiente show, whatever, you definitely, you need to maximize uh, the money that you invest in those shows. I want to, Greg, I, I want to finish up a little bit today with a with a couple of just reminders on things that consumers, we are all consumers, things that we all can do to support our local restaurants. I know everybody's thinking this, has heard most of this, but I, I just really want to touch on them. And that's number one. A lot of us still live in areas where you can go to restaurants. Now, maybe they have less seating. The, the seats themselves are spread farther apart. And keep in mind that we also have a lot of listeners to seat yourself that are in Europe, in the UK, and, and so forth. So there's a lot of different rules and regulations about being able either to go to restaurants in Maryland. You can't sounds like you can in Illinois either, but if you can go to restaurants, go. Okay. Go out to eat. Okay. If you can. And here's the other thing. If you're making reservations, understand that most of those reservations, most of the restaurants that that can take a reservation now for dining in, they have a heck of a lot less seats. So if you make a reservation to go out to eat, Make sure you honor that reservation because if you don't, it hurts more than ever. It always hurts when people stiff, uh, don't show up for a reservation, but now it hurts more than ever. If you can't go out to eat, 
get carry out or get delivery from one of the delivery services. Everybody on the planet has a delivery service that will deliver food to you now. Take advantage of that and support your local restaurants. And at the same time, when you're supporting them, think about buying gift cards because you're going to gift cards are cash and that will be redeemed later on. And, and the restaurateurs, I'm sure, will only be too happy to do to redeem your gift card in a couple of months when we're all back uh, working our way back to normal. And then finally, something that, that was brought to my attention last week, I want to talk a, a little bit about, and that is if you're going to pick up delivery or whatever, remember that normally you'd be tipping on that. So keep the, in the U.S. anyway, keep that idea of tipping and you can decide what to tip, but don't forget that. It's not just the, the bottom line ticket on it. Add your tip to it if you can. I understand everybody's uh, concerned about spending and all that right now, but remember, there's a staff that needs to uh, be brought back and trained. And when these restaurants come back online, so every little bit helps. And Greg, I loved your, uh, your idea from uh, every other Thursday that they have thinking small. If we all take small, tiny steps, we're all in this together. But if you can reach out to somebody, help them in some small way, and they can pass it on, that's terrific. That's how this industry is going to going to recover and come back, I believe. Last words, Greg. Yes, it's like, I guess, again, it sounds so it's so easy for me to here at home to say, but everybody take a deep breath. There, there are things that you can be doing. I know that, you know, some people are already beyond the tipping point, but for those of you that are still hanging on, there are things you can be doing. And again, I say, think small, put yourself in the place of the person walking the dog in front of your, in front of your restaurant. How can you get that person to order? It's a difficult time, but I believe in the resiliency of this industry and the people in it. So it's going to take all of us to bring this back. So I look forward to it. Greg, I want to thank you for joining us this morning on Seat Yourself. It's a little different format than the every other Thursday. And for those of you who want to find, get a little bit more of Greg Kirish, you can find him on our every other Thursday podcast as well. Uh, that's every other Thursday podcast.com. You'll find Greg there and you can find out a little bit about who he is and uh, a little bit more. That's it for us today. I want to thank Greg for again for uh, joining in and uh, jumping in with us today. It's been great having you here. Thank you, Dave. It's been fun. Well, that's it for this episode in our new On the Frontline series of our Seat Yourself podcast. I want to thank you again for joining us. And again, our intentions are to speak with professionals in our industry who are right on the front lines in the different markets all around the globe. And while we are all together in this battle for survival of our entire hospitality industry, it's through these conversations that we're hoping that you might find just a little bit of inspiration and perhaps knowing that we're not alone. We're all in this together and that there are things that can be done. So stay positive and hopeful for the future. Again, I especially want to thank Greg Kirsch for joining us today. You can also catch Greg on our other podcast, which is every other Thursday podcast.com. I'm Dave Turner and we'll see you next week right here on seat yourself with our next episode of on the front lines. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, be sure to check out tabletopjournal.com.